If you're a third grader who normally leaves now, I'd like to invite you to the front row over here. So any third grader that normally leaves, I got a front row seat for you. I'll buy you off in a minute. You'll be happy you came. If, on the other hand, you're between the ages of four to second grade, see, I buy them off, they all come. You're excused to Kids Club. Kids Club is a ministry we do for kids between the ages of four to the second grade. They get an age-appropriate message. You're always welcome. If you've got kids in that age to send them, you're always welcome to keep them. Either way, we're happy. We celebrate that. So, you can come. Come on, Grady. I'm going to buy you off. It's going to be well worth your time. All right. Well, third graders, welcome to the sanctuary. Normally, you leave now, and you may not know what happens. So I thought I'd tell you a little bit of what happens. Normally, when you go out, somebody like me, there are a couple of other guys that get up, stand up, and they share God's word. Here in a couple of weeks, we'll walk through in Acts 8 an Ethi- a story about an Ethiopian who doesn't understand God's word. says, how will I understand God's word unless somebody explains it? So what we do in this time is we walk through God's word and we explain it to help people have a better understanding of what's going on in God's Word. And so in order to help you with that process and transition you to be with us, I have two tools that I think will be helpful to you. Okay, Both of which I'll provide for you this week, next week you're on your own. So, two things. The first thing I'm going to give you is a set of sermon notes for kids. Okay, Anyone is available to grab these. They're always on a table sitting over here. What this allows you to do is to listen for certain things so that you can participate and have some things to write down. There's also a little spot here in the bottom left to draw something. If you're creative type, you hear something in a message and think, oh, that makes me want to draw a picture of a bird because the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. I should draw a bird. That's perfectly fine and acceptable. But we want to help you with these because it'll help you concentrate. I learned early on that when I would go to church, if I took a piece of paper and I took notes, it helped me stay focused. We want to help our kids do that, kids of any age. Again, back here in the back corner. Uh, also helpful, just so you know as parents, that those sheets show up in the Trailblazers class. So in the next hour, they get asked some questions about that so that there's a continual process of our kids being asked about you know what they're hearing, what they're learning. So there's a part of that. But it also plays into you as parents that if you want to help your kids get those, use them, uh, that you can ask them questions about it too. So there's a family discipleship element in that also. The second thing I have for you is I recognize that for some of you, you don't normally sit in the sanctuary and you're going to feel a little squirmy. So one of the things that's helpful is putting a sucker in your mouth because this will help you not squirm so much and help you focus. It is a great, you can change colors. I mean, I've got lots of different ones. You need one, Jim? I got one. I'm going to throw it at you. Jesse, and that's Jim. Anybody else? I got like seven more. Oh, you're already taken. If there's any other kids that needed one that happen to be here and don't go to Kids Club, I'm setting these here, which means any kid could run up and come grab one really quickly. You guys can go back and sit wherever you want or wherever you came from. Anyone else who needs a sucker? Tyler Tracy's coming for a sucker. 
you guys can go back and sit wherever you came from. Or you can stay there. They're up there. I dumped them out. I've got a couple more. Anyone? You can't have, you've got one. Your mouth is full already. <laughs> Perfect. Well, if you are new to Calvary, or perhaps you're a third grader staying with us for the first time, you should know we've been walking through the book of Acts. Uh, in doing so, we are looking at the example of what happens when the disciples who have literally walked with Jesus for three years no longer have him there, and they're stopped to ask the question, what do we do next? Jesus is ascended, what do we do? And I think it is such a helpful consideration for the church because many of us who've been walking with Jesus, we've followed him, we know a little bit about his life, a little bit of his words, and we have to ask the question, what do we do next? So we've been leaning into the book of Acts, looking at the mission of God, the purpose, which Jesus gives them in Acts 1.8, which Jesus says, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus tells his disciples they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. We just sang about that. That we were sealed when we believed. It says that in Ephesians 1.13. I put the verse so that you can see it confirms that the Holy Spirit comes upon us when we believe and that we've been given power. But I also point us back to Acts 1.8, not just to show us that we, like the disciples, have power, but also because in Acts 1.8, it shows us the way in which the power will accomplish its work In us being his witnesses, it shows us the plan. If you follow the geography of Acts 1-8, it is first in Jerusalem that they start in this city and you see that story begin to unfold in the early parts of Acts 1 through chapter 7. And then it moves out into all of Judea and Samaria. That starts in Acts chapter 8. That's where we'll be camping out this morning. So open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Third graders, a little tip for you. There's a Bible sitting below you and commonly in front of you. Here's some cheater news. I always put the page number in the upper right part of the slide. That would allow you to get there faster than your parents. See? So that you can always look at the page number, get your way to Acts chapter 8, and look at your dad and be like, what's up? There's some cheater news for you. I'll give you a couple more cheater tips as we go. (laughs) Acts 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. Last week, we were introduced to Saul as the one running the coat check in chapter 7. He stood there approvingly while Stephen was martyred. And Acts 8 picks up, noting that Saul... By the way, he was probably in his mid-30s. Most people think Saul was very much a contemporary of Jesus. Um, so he probably is in his mid-30s at this point. 
that Saul approved of the stoning of Stephen. We walked through that last week. And as a result of Stephen being stoned, two major things happened. And there, those are the two things we're going to look at this morning. So the first thing happens in the next part of verse 1. I've broken up verse 1 into three parts. It says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. A great persecution rose up. So as we've moved through the book of Acts, we've seen hostility against believers. We've seen that increase. In Acts 4.21, they received a warning. In Acts 5.40, they were beaten. In Acts 7.58, one of them was martyred. Now there's widespread persecution. Church, let me give this to you as a side note. Please don't ever claim to be persecuted if this isn't happening to you. It's tiresome to hear Christians in America say, well, I'm being persecuted. Starbucks isn't for me anymore. Target has bathrooms I can't go in. I don't, I'm being persecuted. Until you're being drugged out of your home and beaten, you don't really have a complaint. And, and I just to say that to tell you that we have friends. We have friends who we support in ministry who this has happened to. I know people all over the globe that have experienced persecution to a degree we can't fathom about and they can't write in their newsletters. So just so you know, persecution is real, it exists, and it's worse than you can imagine. If you want to find out more, I'd lovingly, lovingly share lots of websites, Twitter feeds, all this you could follow that is real about that. Because that's what Luke is leaning into as he writes. There's a widespread persecution that starts into the church by the Jewish people. Luke describes this further for us in verse 3. It says this, But Saul, we pick up back Saul, Saul was ravaging the church and entered house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now this is Saul, who we will soon call Paul. This is the guy who wrote 13 books of the New Testament. This is the guy who fathered churches all over Asia. Going into church after church, dragging people off to be arrested, to be beaten, and even to martyr them because he hated the name of Jesus so badly. Let's consider Paul's own testimony given in Acts 26.11. He says, I punished them often in all the synagogues, and I tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. This is Paul putting before you what his life looked like before Christ. He punished them. He tried to make them blaspheme, which means to ask them to deny God. And if any of you saw the 2016 movie Silence about two Portuguese missionaries, you have a sense of the cruelty that is involved in coercing one to blaspheme. And I can assure you, historically, it's all there. In Galatians 1, Paul writes about himself, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. 
Paul violently persecuted the church with the purpose of destroying it. Now, I put all that before you, both in Luke's words and in Paul's, to highlight the fact that this is one of the forefathers of our faith. The guy who punished people, carried them off, killed people. This is our brother in Christ. And you thought you had a life before Christ. What God does here in the life of Paul, we'll walk through this in a couple of weeks, is start to display the enormity of His grace. That whatever sin is looked like in your life, it's probably not looked like this. In fact, whatever you've engaged in, for however long you've engaged in it, you might believe that God could not forgive you. That God wouldn't have a place for you in His kingdom. And he goes, Paul, here's your example. You're not that bad. You didn't do this. And you certainly didn't do it directly at me the way Paul did. God puts his grace on display through the testimony of him saving Paul. We'll walk through that in a couple of weeks. But church, please realize this. I like to remind you of it often. That whether you drug off people and martyred them, or you stole cookies while no one was watching. You stole your sister's toys. I talked to third graders, one in particular. It's all sin. All of it. And the Bible makes it clear whether you're guilty of this or you're guilty of that, it all separates you from God. And there's a sufficiency in the death of Jesus Christ that covers all of it. Which is to say this, that your testimony as a believer in Jesus Christ is not predicated on the sins that you did before Christ, but it's predicated on the fact that you are now alive in Christ. Which is to say this, you didn't have a moral problem before Jesus. The Bible testifies you were dead before Jesus. Jesus didn't come to make you better. He didn't come to make you cleaner. He came to make you alive. Good works on a dead man does nothing. God puts His grace on display. And you see that as Paul begins to persecute the church and therefore, we don't need to whitewash Paul's sins. We do need to magnify his grace. Because absolutely anyone can repent and anyone can turn to Jesus. So we see this on display as we move through the book of Acts, as the church starts off around 70-something and grows into literally the tens of thousands and we should note that the strong warnings didn't stop it. And the beatings didn't stop it. In fact, all it did was embolden the disciples. So what do you think was the impact of martyrdom and widespread persecution? Let's look at the last part of Acts 8.1. It says, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, 
except the apostles. Now that phrase is so rich and pregnant. There are things and truths scattered throughout all of that. That the church, the normal people who believed in Jesus and received the Holy Spirit were now scattered all over Judea and Samaria. Which is to say this, if you've been with us for the last number of weeks, the last seven chapters, you would start to appreciate Judea and Samaria. Because they didn't just go there of their own accord. This is the very place that Jesus testified that His witness would spread out into through the power of the Holy Spirit. So God, in His rich mercy... To love the world allows persecution to happen on his church so that the gospel spreads. Now, if there's something in the Bible that is more an affront to American idealism, I don't know what it is. Because what happens and gets displayed in the book of Acts is that Jesus doesn't care about your personal comfort or your best life now reference intended. Jesus is about His glory going out. It's about His name going out. It's about salvation going forward. So He allows persecution. Why? Because all the people sitting in their happy little synagogue worshiping Jesus, wanting to be together. Have you ever noticed how prone we are to holy huddles? We like to have our little groups. We like to have a small group where it's me and my five best friends and we're besties and we study the Bible and we know each other and we should do this for like 60 years. Except that's not at all consistent with the New Testament. You see that through the book of Acts. We're constantly being spread out, being pushed out, either willingly, hey, we should send out some people, or purposefully, persecution, Third graders like sound effects. God is working in such a way, not for our health, our wealth, or our benefit, but for His glory to go out to the nations. It's an overt theme in the book of Acts over and over again. And I wholeheartedly think the early church got it. For it's Normal people that go to Jerusalem and Judea. Was it the apostles? No. The text makes it very clear that the church wasn't being built on the backs of the apostles going out at this point. It's being built on normal people who, wait for it, just lost their homes and just lost their businesses and just lost their way of life, and probably just lost friends and family to any number of being carried off, being beaten, and or being martyred, who are now going out and saying, Jesus is all to us. We believe He is all to us. It is His name that matters. Therefore, rather than wailing and mourning what we've just walked through, let's continue to preach a salvation that matters. A salvation that saves.
I keep bringing this before you over and over again because I want this to be our encouragement and our challenge. That God doesn't have special people. God uses normal people who believe in Him. Normal people who believe in Him and having believed in Him receive the Holy Spirit. God uses normal people who have believed in Him and have received the Holy Spirit. He uses these people to go out to be His witnesses and to build His kingdom. Over the last couple of years, we've had the chance at Calvary to send about 17 people into the mission field on short-term trips. Of those people, ask them. When they go out to Rwanda, where we sent two teams, or Papua New Guinea, I got to be there this summer, are those mission fields filled with special people with like special badges and like with really cool, you know, credentials? Not a one of them. They're all people, just normal people who love Jesus and have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, who have a call in their life to go and to be faithful. And church, I don't want all of you to move to Rwanda or anywhere else in the world. I do want you to be normal people who know Jesus and have been sealed by the Holy Spirit and go forth to testify about what He's done. That's the calling that we all get. Don't ever miss that, because when we put a missionary picture and say, hey, we want you to pray for the brewbakers, don't think the brewbakers are a special brand that you're not. Because if you start believing that, I'm going to start putting your picture on the screen. Hey, pray for the Romains as they reach their family. Pray for the Nixon family as they're reaching their families, other neighborhoods. Pray for the Hoffs as they're engaging everything that's around them. Because they're only special in that their address radically changed in obedience to Christ, but their actions and their motions didn't. And that's what gets before us in the book of Acts. God calls normal people into obedience. So what did they do? Verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Now some of you are going to hear preaching the word and think this is a pastor's movement, but i got to tell you that literally that phrase means that they went and proclaimed the good news. All they did. It wasn't like they built a pulpit somewhere and started barking at people. It's that people went forward and started proclaiming, hey, there's salvation to be had in a guy named Jesus. And as you wrestle with the tensions of your life and you you don't know how to handle it, Jesus is the answer. And I want to point you to a peace that I didn't know before, but I know now. And I want to point you to a strength that I didn't know before, but I know now. That Jesus Christ is sufficient for my life and He's forgiven me of my sins and He's given me an ability to love people that I can't really even comprehend. Friends, that's all of our testimonies, isn't it? Can you be more passionate? Thanks, Nick. You guys, third graders, help me out here. There are times in church it's okay to yell. See, when the pastor says, can I get an amen, you say, and you could be the loud ones, because you want to be loud all the time anyway. I'm just giving you a chance. I'm training you now, is what I'm doing. Everywhere they went, they proclaimed the good news. This is another verse we're going to come back to several times over the book of Acts, because this was the practice of the church. 
that whether by their own desire or by providence, they spread out, they were sent out, they were scattered to spread the Word of God. Which is to say this, in the three and a half years that I've lived here in Fargo-Moorhead and been at Calvary, we've had a number of families that have moved away. And each and every time that's happened, we need to celebrate that. God, you're spreading us out. It's a celebratory event. And when that happens, we celebrate the fact that God is raising up new leaders to fill those roles. He's going to ask new people to step into new things. And Calvary is going to continue to be blessed and grow through that. Why? Because it's normative in God's church that he spreads people out. He sends them out. So if you have a tension in your life that you think God might be moving you somewhere else, that's awesome. He may want to put a church around you somewhere. And I mean that literally. For there are churches all over the rural areas, the countryside, and many cities even that need strong believers in them. I will radically celebrate sending more of you out. Will it hurt my heart? Absolutely. But this is the pattern of the church. We get spread out, we get sent out, we get scattered. And this is such a crucial testimony for us to hear because it pushes back on our own inclination to have holy huddles. It pushes back on our own inclination to strive for comfort, to strive for normalcy, to strive for a life that depends on everything else but Jesus Christ. God spreads us out and He sends us and He scatters us so that we can testify that the gospel is enough. Because that's what was true of the early church. They believed in the primacy of the gospel. The primacy of the message of salvation in in Jesus Christ that literally you could take everything away from them, their homes, businesses, friends, or families, and all they did was get bolder and bolder for Jesus Christ. Friends, as we conclude this morning, I conclude with a couple of thoughts. The early church had a greater passion for the name of Jesus than they had for their own name. The early church had a greater passion for the reputation of Jesus Christ than they did for their own reputation. The early church had a greater passion for the words and the works of Jesus Christ than they did for their words or their works. The early church spread on the lives of normal people who were just like you and you and you and you and you and you who believed in Jesus, were sealed by the Holy Spirit, and went forth in power to be His witnesses. Have you ever noticed how few names are in the book of Acts? They're like ten disciples we don't know anything about after like Acts 7. We know anything about them. And I think what that serves to point out is that the gospel didn't go forward. The church wasn't built on personalities. It was built on people. Faithful people 
who would go out in the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. It's why he calls the weak, the poor, the uneducated, the ill-equipped. Not that they would exalt themselves, but a people who would exalt Jesus. Church, as we kick off our fall, I charge you not to become equipped, not to become worthy, but to understand that Jesus is worthy, that He is strong, that He is equipped, and He sends you out not in your sufficiency, not in your abilities, but in His. That's how we love our neighbors. That's how we love our coworkers. That's how we speak His name. Not because we're great and moral and awesome, but because He is great and sufficient and supreme. Let me pray for us and we'll be done. Gracious Father, thank You for loving us so sufficiently through Your Son that the love of Jesus can endure everything. can endure everything. Father, it can endure hardship. It can endure hurricanes. It can endure tornadoes. It can endure floods. Father, that when hardship comes to your church, your church flourishes. Father, if we will pay attention, we'll see revival break out in Houston. We'll see it break out all over southeastern Texas. Father, if we keep our eyes open, we'll see revival start to break out in Florida and in the Caribbean. Father, because the false gospels that want to stand on prosperity and and health and wealth and blessings crumble in adversity. And Father, we look forward to seeing the name of Your Son lifted up through adversity. Do we love adversity? No, but we love how you use it. So Jesus, we declare that we love you, that we trust you, and that your name is greater than ours. And so Father, send us out. Scatter us as you will in your ways and by your purposes, Father, to make your name great. The people would know that even we would know the sufficiency of Jesus the strength of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, and the power we have in His name. It's in Your name we pray. Amen.